Welcome to I Got Sucked Off by Historical King Arthur, or uh, uh, Saber Metrics, a critical and sincere examination of the Fate series. And we are currently starting Heavensfield, the first week, er, er, final route of Fate Stay Night. Uh, my name is Sierra, my pronouns are she, her. Uh, my name's Dustin, my pronouns are he, they. Uh, yeah, this week, like I said, we are talking about the opening five days, I think, of Fate. Uh, Heaven's feel. Yes. Uh, so days four through six, but also there are a few differences in the first three days as well, uh, which we will be covering. Um, due to scheduling, we're a little bit uh, strapped for time uh, on this recording, so uh, we won't be updating our top five character list uh, this episode. Uh, we're going to save it for the next one so you'll get a better impression of how we feel about the characters uh after unlimited blade works uh the next episode that we record uh but yeah let's start out with days one through three Mm -hmm. uh since there is actually more that's different here than i thought there would be um it's about as much different as there was in like unlimited blade works i think yeah, yeah. Um, partly because it's it's sort of doing a lot of leg legwork to uh, set up Sakura as a primary character. Uh, yeah, uh, what I will say, uh, I actually buy Sakura and Shiro like having crushes on each other more than yeah. I did with anybody else. Like legitimately, yeah. it, this does the most work in establishing their relationship, like out the gate. Yeah, so- Sakura and Shiro, I-, I will admit, feel like way more natural a pairing than Shiro with anyone else. They have actual chemistry. Like, yeah. Beyond Shiro being a spluttering idiot and Rin dunking on his stupid ass. Like, yeah. the-, the chemistry that uh, Rin and Saber have, Shiro and uh, Sakura actually have. And, like, we see that in how they interact on day to day. There is a push and pull to the relationship that is genuinely enjoyable. Yeah. Um, so uh, the first difference is uh, a thing that will only happen once you've gotten either the good or true ends for uh, Rin's route. Um, if you choose to take Sakura home after dinner on the first night, Shira decides to walk Sakura home since it's been getting dangerous in the neighborhood lately. Um Sakura tries to decline, though uh, Though it seems only because it would make Shinji upset if he saw the two together. Shiro doesn't really care what Shinji thinks, though, and insists on making sure Sakura gets home safely. Uh, besides, Shiro claims it's, quote, only right for guys to fight, and it's best when we talk honestly like that, end quote. All right, buddy. Uh, uh- Sakura says he, uh, she's glad her brother has such a good friend. Even though Shinji might act like an asshole, she claims he likes Shiro more than other people and is always concerned about him. Uh, 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 what I will say is it seems like Shiro's perspective on Shinji in this arc is closer to his perspective from Fate, where he is like, yeah, he fucking hates Shinji, but he is kind of stuck in a holding pattern because Sakura is effectively his hostage. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's very reminiscent of the scenario, of the situation to Fate. Um, on the way there, the two talk about Rin, who lives nearby and has a similar style of house as Sakura. Uh, Shiro talks about how he's heard rumors that Rin's house is haunted. Uh, Sakura says Rin likes to be alone, and she was told ever since she was a child that a scary, scary sorcerer lived up on the hill. <laughs> Which is not entirely uh, inaccurate. 
as they get closer to the Mato house, Sakura asks someone standing near it. Shiro says the coast seems clear, and she explains she's been noticing a strange person around her house lately. She was worried he might have shown up to again tonight. When Shiro asks her what he looked like, she describes who we know as Gilgamesh. Uh, in any case, they make it to the house without incident, and Sakura says goodnight as she goes inside. As Shiro is about to head back, he suddenly notices the sound of a strange bug. He tries to concentrate on the sound, then suddenly notices three rooms in the Mato house have turned their lights on. Uh, he recognizes two of them as Sakura and Shinji's rooms, uh, but he doesn't know what the third room is. Plus, only Sakura and Shinji should even be living there. He reasons to himself that it's probably not that strange for lights to be left on in such a big house, but still, he feels uneasy. And that's kind of all for that scene on day one. Um, we now move on to uh, some day two differences. Uh, a choice now exists in the morning that wasn't here before. Uh, to make one more side dish since soccer is coming rather than use your spare time to do your daily routine in the dojo. Uh, Shiro tries to think of a side dish that will take about half an hour to make and suddenly realizes he's making another main dish. He talks to himself saying he must have just started cooking to pass the time. A voice suddenly asks him, you are cooking just to pass the time? He replies, yeah, sometimes he can just get into a cooking groove and make food for the hell of it. The voice tells, the voice tells him it's fine. There probably won't be any leftovers even, he even if he makes more than usual. This conversation goes on for a few moments longer before Shiro realizes he's been talking to Sakura this whole time, not himself. Uh, he turns around to finally greet her properly and lets her know that breakfast is ready. Uh, we have a nice little scene where the two of them work together to prepare lunch for later. <laughs> this is actually pretty funny. Yeah, it, like, again, this is one of those moments where, like, it, it feels like they actually have chemistry. Like, they are clearly comfortable with each other in a way Shiro is not comfortable with anybody else. Uh, also, Sakura, like, is clearly used to him just getting lost in his own head, and so she doesn't feel like saying, hey, Shiro, I'm here. She's just, like, <laughs> just talking to him. Mm-hmm. While he zones out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it is uh, just genuinely fun. Yeah, it was very funny. Um, we cut to Taiga waking up and arriving for breakfast. She notices Sakura in the kitchen and jokes about her having fun with food and Shiro. Uh, Shiro, ever the dunce, is concerned that Sakura is wasting her free time coming over to his house to make food all the time and tells her she should sleep a little later in the mornings. Sakura assures him that, to her, this is her relaxation time. She also says her goal is to eventually beat him at cooking, and she thinks she's nearly there. Shiro seems weirdly put off by this, and asks her why she can't just be happy making food instead of chasing after him. Uh, as, he's handling a, as he's handing a dish to her, she suddenly goes silent and stares at his hand, asking him what the bruise is. He notices the bruise too, but he doesn't remember hurting his hand at all. Uh, we, have, we, of course, know it's the beginning of a command spell, and Sakura uh, seems to know this as well, even though she shouldn't, uh, because her attitude quickly becomes awkward and downcast. She excuses herself early before eating any of the breakfast Shiro had prepared, claiming she just has a headache. Um, after school, we're again presented with a choice we didn't have before. Uh, we can say we're worried about Rin, which would bring us back on track for either the Fate or Unlimited Blade Works routes, or we can say we're worried about Sakura, which trips another required flag for Heaven's Feel. Uh, we'll be choosing the latter, obviously. Uh, Shiro looks through the school and eventually finds her standing alone in an empty classroom, looking even more lifeless than earlier. 
He tells her he can help uh, walk her home if she's feeling bad, but she insists she'll keep following her normal routine. He argues there's no point going to archery club in her estate and tries to stop her by grabbing her hand, causing her to nearly fall over. She says she knows she shouldn't, but Shinji wants her to go, so she has to go. Shiro quickly figures out a compromise. The two of them can rest in the classroom and drink tea together for a bit. Sakura can arrive late to the archery club and just tell Shinji that Shiro held her up. Shinji will get mad, of, mad at him, but he can take it. Shiro steals some tea from the teacher's lounge, and they drink it in the classroom in silence. He thinks about how Sakura always seems to want to be alone and distance herself from others. Shiro wouldn't have even known about her if he hadn't met Shinji four years ago. Other than him, she doesn't seem to have any friends. Sakura finally breaks the silence and reminisces about how, four years ago, she was walking around the school aimlessly when she noticed a boy running on the school's track, doing high jumps all alone, well after the track team had already left. Uh, this story is so funny. Uh, the pull was so high it was clearly impossible for a boy of his height to do, uh, but he kept trying anyway. Something bad had happened to Sakura around that time, and she, re and she remembers wanting to take her feelings out on someone. She wanted to keep seeing him fail, so she kept watching. He never did succeed and ended up stopping after three hours, but his determination was so earnest that it ended up making her feel uneasy and lonely instead of giving her the catharsis that she wanted. Shiro asks her why she's telling this story. She smiles and says it's fine if he doesn't understand. That just means that even though the event seems special to her, it must have been an everyday occurrence for him. At this point, Shiro finally figures out what's going on. Four years ago would have been right around when Kuritsugu died. He recalls doing a lot of reckless things back then, so that must have been him on that field. Sakura confirms his guess. She's known him ever since that moment. She then ends with a mysterious remark. Quote, yes, we were both looking at the same thing. End quote. The bell rings, reminding them that the half an hour has now passed, and they both go their separate ways. Sakura to archery club and Shiro to his job. So I, I do think there's one thing that is important to highlight here, uh, and it's that Sakura frames herself as not being quote-unquote a good girl at that point in yeah. time. Um, and it's important because of how Sakura ends up framed later. Um, it, she is a character who very clearly has created this identity for herself as a, like a good girl, uh, in recent years because of her reaction to that uh, and because she is an abused child. Um, yeah, there's there's clearly, like, we don't know at this point exactly what that thing that happened to her is, but she, apparent, she appears to blame herself for it. I, I mean, it, it's not... It feels like somebody has definitely been blaming her for something. Yeah. Uh, um... Like, it, it feels like there is external pressure to blame herself for whatever X thing is. Um, and I, it, it is important that she describes... Uh, she describes herself as a bad girl and then also immediately uh, uh, talks about this selfish and... Uh, uh, this desire for Shiro to fail. Um, like, there is... the. The idea of her being a bad girl is immediately paired with these negative and selfish emotions. Um, and she immediately views that as, like, a major failing in and of herself. Like, there is no sense of scale for her yeah, uh, in her mind. Um, and 
this is important because, hey, she's going to start feeling negative emotions like jealousy very soon. That's uh-huh. definitely going to go great for a person who has no sense of scale and no real way to modulate or uh, do anything other than deeply blame herself for her actions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the scene where uh, Shiro sees Rin standing on top of a building proceeds as normal. Uh, however, afterwards, he decides to check on the Mato house. He notices the third light isn't on this time. A voice behind him asks, if he, asks him if he needs something. Shiro spins around and sees a strange old man. Uh, the old man asks if he's the stranger Sakura was worried about. By the way, I should note the art on this dude. It's like the wrinkliest old man you could possibly, like, the creepiest, wrinkliest person. <laughs> it's like a, it's like if Mitch McConnell uh, was dipped, was like, if you pickled Mitch McConnell, that's, that's what Zokin looks like, this fucking dude. <laughs> uh... So, uh, uh, I went on a tangent, now I have to remember where I was here. Uh, oh, here we go. The old man asks if he's the stranger Sakura was worried about. If so, he'll have to hurt him. Ashiro explains he's Shinji and Sakura's friend, and he was just checking to make sure they were okay. The man invites him to come in for dinner, but Shiro declines, saying he was simply stopping by. The man introduces himself as Zoken Mato, and then walks towards the entrance. Before they part ways, though, uh, he turns around and asks Shiro, it, quote, is the daughter of the Einsburns doing well? End quote. Shiro doesn't recognize this name, but Zoken tells him not to play dumb. Quote, it is natural for the daughter of the Einsburns to go and see Emiya. I am asking you how well it is this time around. End quote. Upon noticing Shiro's continued silence, he realizes that Shiro really must not know. Shiro apologizes for not understanding, but Zoken says there's no need. It was a mistake on his part. He asks Shiro to continue staying friends with his grandchildren and to feel free to come in to visit whenever he'd like. Shiro notices that as soon as Zoken enters the house, the sound of bugs stops. Hmm. Fascinating. Weird. I'm sure that's going to be fine and not disgusting and foul. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we begin day three with Sakura asking if Shiro's bruise has gotten worse. He insists it's fine and it hasn't changed since yesterday. He asks why she's acting so strange over a minor welt. She mentions hoping that she's wrong, but doesn't explain further. She then asks him for a favor. She won't be coming into she won't be coming to his house tonight, and she wants him to skip work and stay at, stay at his home all night. She'll visit once she's done with her errand. Shiro agrees to this request. Uh, the starting events of the war then proceed as normal. Uh, since we're locked into Heaven's Field at this point, we don't get the choice to prevent uh, Saber from severely wounding Archer. It's okay, though, uh, because apparently Archer super sucks if he doesn't take the, a sword to the gut early on, so it's better this way. Honestly, we should stab him more. Yeah, yeah, just just stab him until he's not, a, uh, not an asshole. Uh, I don't know that before... that'll work, but it's worth a shot. <laughs> yeah, gotta try. Before we begin day four, though, uh, we get a new interlude that takes place in the late evening of day three. Uh, it's set in that weird stone room where Shinji had his first conversation with Gilgamesh. The master of this room is in the center, rotten but alive, sw- and sworn by otherworldly worms. The worms use their suckers to consume his meat and burrow inside him. There are so many that a normal human would be quickly eaten to the bone, but this man is becoming more complete as more worms enter him, as if he's the one consuming them. He does this to prolong his life. The man remarks to himself that the worms will need to be replaced soon. 
This war won't be the last chance, and if the conditions aren't perfect, he should restrict himself to just observing. Which is a shame, since the pieces he's assembled are well suited to his goal. If the thing he created makes no mistakes in the procedure set out for it to do, he will, def uh, he will definitely reach the Holy Grail. Uh, he describes this tool as a cellular tool that has been contaminated by the Grail for the past ten years. Uh, this tool is planned to be disposable from the start. However, it hates conflict. He will need to find some way to motivate it. The tool arrives in the room and asks if it will need to kill all the masters to succeed. The rotting man says it must kill them all. However, conditions aren't good, so they should just observe, observe this war. The tool seems relieved by this. Uh, but then the man remarks that it's a bit annoying that they'll have to watch. Out of all the masters, Rin is the most likely to be the winner. A small crack is made and the tool is resolved by that one remark. The man has found the opening he needed. So... Um, we don't have confirmation of this at at this point, or really in any of these days, but given reactions we've seen... This is Zoken and Sakura. Yes, it absolutely is Zoken and Sakura. But, uh, okay, so uh, there are two things that are important here. The first is that it's Zoken. It's literally Zoken's voice actor, like it's Zoken. It is blatantly, obviously Zoken. Um, and, like, you'd, it would be reasonable to think, oh, Zoken is talking about Shinji, um, but A, Shinji is a fuckboy waste of space, uh, and even Zoken thinks so, uh, and, but, like, Shinji's the only one we've seen in this room. However, it's, if Shinji can find this room, it's perfectly reasonable to expect Sakura would be able to find this room, too. Yeah. Um, and so, that means, A, this is probably Sakura, especially considering her reaction to, uh, uh Rin. Uh, he also describes her as, uh, an ultimate fortress that has no blade with which to strike back um as a counterpoint to shiro uh whose whole body is made of swords yeah um and like i'll, I'll come back to some of my feelings on sakura later um but yeah <laughs> I, I i i think that is an interesting way of positioning sakura um in that it makes me very afraid for her and this is like the first time i've been like oh i'm like feeling things for this child who had been abused her whole life and is being manipulated by one of her abusers um, yeah. i mean also she clearly knows shiro is a master like she yeah, has clocked like that immediately yeah, it's funny that, like, in the previous two routes, whenever Sakura was brought up, it's like, oh, she's she doesn't know anything about magic, you know, she was useless as a mage anyway to these people, so no one ever told her anything. But, like, at the start of this route, she sees Shiro's bruise and is like, it's very clear she knows that it's not just a wound. She knows. <laughs> I think, like, yeah. she flat out, between that and this conversation, she flat out knows. Yeah, she knows um, exactly what's going on. And that, that is interesting, especially with what happens when we see Zoken later, which uh, uh, puts further doubt on, in my mind at least, that uh, Shinji is the one who is actually being trained as a mage. Yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll, we'll go ahead and begin day four here. Uh, after Rin explains the war again and offers to team up, things quickly diverge. The remark Zoken made about Eisburn's daughter stuck in his mind. He's worried that if he teams up with Rin, uh, they'll inevitably end up fighting Ilya, and he doesn't want to do that. He tells Rin he can't give her the response she wants just now. He'd like some time to think about the matter. However, Rin seems to understand his true intentions. 
As she leaves, she tells him they'll be enemies the next time they meet. <laughs> sure, Rin. <laughs> Saber's explanation then proceeds like before. Uh, she tells him he should decide on a course of action immediately. Uh, Shiro starts to wonder why uh, Ilya was after them in the first place. Saber perks up at the name Einsburn and recommends they both head to the church so Shiro can learn more about the family from Kyrie. She says that even though Kyrie threatened to remove their command spells if they returned, Shiro isn't part of the Magic Association, so he's under no obligation to follow their rules. Shiro says he'd rather avoid meeting the priest again if he can help it. Saber agrees, but she feels this is important. Shiro's surprised by this, since he assumes she never met him. Saber explains he actually took uh, Saber explains she uh, that Kyrie actually took part in the previous Grail War. She never learned who his servant was, but Kuritsugu saw him as his greatest enemy. Shiro asks why his father never told him he was part of the war that caused the calamity ten years ago. She doesn't know, and she never truly understood his thought processes. However, she is certain the priest never said anything simply because Shiro never asked. He will tell the church if he, he will tell the truth if Shiro asks him about it. Um, one thing I want to note before we go further, it's very fine to me that like the like, the two things that Shiro does here, uh, not cooperating with Rin and then going back to the church, are both things that cause bad ends in the other two routes. Yeah, uh-huh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and, like, it, I actually really like the ways this... So for all my complaints about this game, I really like the way it delineates how the different routes happen as, like, these small early changes that have these cataclysmic knock-on effects as you move forward. Like, yeah. I, I think that is actually really deftly done. Um, yeah, also, it's really neat. <laughs> also, I just like this next scene with Kyrie. I think it's fun. Yeah, this uh, this scene is probably one of my favorites uh, with Kyrie. Um, so, at, at the church, Saber advises Shiro not to let his guard down, and also not to mention that she was summoned a second time. Uh, he enters the chapel and sees Gilgamesh there. Gil approaches him and seems to reach out towards Shiro's neck. However, he, he withdraws after remarking, You are entranced by something unpleasant, and heads behind the altar to fetch Kyrie. Uh, I kind of like how Shiro reacts to this, because he's like, This man is definitely going to kill me. And then when Gilgamesh like withdraws, he's like, Oh, that was dumb. He's just, he's just like a weird dude. Why, why I think he was going to kill me. That's stupid. <laughs> It's because he was definitely thinking about killing you, man. <laughs> yeah. 100%. <laughs> uh, Kyrie soon arrives, uh, and Shiro asks him why he never told him about the previous Grail War. He asks if that's why he had been chosen by the current Grail War. Kyrie explains that even if Shiro were Kuritsugu's biological son, the title of Master isn't hereditary. He insists he doesn't know why Shiro was chosen. He would like to say it was pure chance, but he suspects fate is at work. He also explains that Kuritsugu betrayed the Grail by destroying it. Shiro is surprised to hear this, but he doesn't believe it was a betrayal. Destroying the Grail was the proper thing for a superhero to do. Kyrie seems amused and remarks that Shiro clearly doesn't know what his dad was like before. He then explains that Kuritsugu was hired by the Einsburns to be their master for the Fourth Grail War. He was chosen since his magic was better suited for battle. They even gave him a woman to make a child with who would be more suited for combat. He would be accepted into the family if he obtained the Grail. For most of the war, he performed, he performed faithfully. Kyrie is the only master who ever fought him and survived. He was efficient and brutal. There was no place for emotions in his heart. 
He would use any weakness he could find, including using an enemy's family as a shield. If that Kuritsugu were in this Grail War, he'd be the master Shiro would hate the most. Probably. However, he threw... Huh? I said, yeah, probably. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, however, he threw everything away at the last moment. The Holy Grail dis- the Holy Grail disappeared, the war ended, and the Einsburns retreated to spend the next ten years preparing for the Fifth War. Kyrie hated him. Uh, uh, he, hate- he explicitly says he, to spend the next ten years preparing the Holy Grail for the next war. Oh, like, yes, that's correct. Like, yeah. just, we're told out the gate this time, oh yeah, they made the Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Kyrie hated Kuritsugu. Uh, he hated his contradictory ideals that caused him to make whatever sacrifice was necessary to save the maximum number of people. Wow, that seems very familiar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, what's up, Archer? Uh, he yeah, mentioned- uh-huh. <laughs> he mentions that in that way, Shiro is very similar to his dad. They're both anti-heroes. An anti-hero is an existence that is evil, but their actions are considered good deeds by other people. A proper hero is created from respect, gratitude, and feelings of guilt. An anti-hero has to be both victim and assailant. This contradiction allows them to be the enemy of the world, exempt from the world's restraining forces. However, few pure anti-heroes actually exist. They are something people merely wish to exist as sacrifices to deny the original sin. Uh, which is a lot of stuff, but I'm sure it will become more relevant later. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it is worth, like, fully explicating what he lays out here. Um, and, and it's that, basically, what he is, or part of what he is saying here is that hero is a term that is not defined by, um, by action, uh, in and of itself, or by, like, an individual taking those actions. It is something that is defined communally, uh, and yeah, by, by like history. How it- by how, like, people perceive you. But by how people perceive you, by how people choose to perceive you, uh, how people choose to perceive how they have reacted. Like, uh, hero and hero-ness is something that is defined contextually at the convenience of those who are alive to remember afterwards. Like, yeah. uh, and that is, like, part of what the issue is with Shiro's goal of being a superhero. Um, Which is kind of funny, like... So the, the, that concept of like what a heroic what a heroic spirit is will get kind of muddled as we get into later fate uh, entries and who gets to be a hero is greatly expanded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like one of the most famous uh, fate servants is Nero, the Roman emperor. I don't think anyone considers Nero to be a hero in this sort of sense. No, but. Um. <laughs> But yeah, I, I do think it is, like, because um, part of this, too, is just, like, some general, like, lit theory stuff of a, a, a an anti-hero as, um, he explicitly says they're created to be, people. they're created by the people, but not of humanity. It is an exemption which allows them to be the entity of the, the enemy of the world, exempt from the restraining forces of the world. Um, and uh, anti-hero as specifically somebody who is unbound by traditional morality or values to achieve heroic ends is like a pretty basic definition of an anti-hero in just general literature. Yeah. Um, and like that ability to be unbound by common morality is valuable both in that it allows them to achieve very different goals. Uh, and it also makes the choice for heroics uh, more active and more powerful. Like, 
the, the choice not to do evil is only valuable insofar as it is a choice. Um, and, and like that is part of where anti-heroes become valuable or interesting. Um, and, and so it, I am I have bad feelings about where this is gonna go. <laughs> but I, I I think I am interested to see what it does. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, Shiro then asks about the Einsburns. Uh, Kyrie explains that 200 years ago, some magi found that there is a distortion in the ley line of this land. They shared their secret techniques with each other to create the Holy Grail's activation circle. Einsburn, Makiri, and Tosaka were the original creators of the Grail War. Unlike the other families, though, the Einsburns never create any branch families. They have pursued the Grail to the exclusion of all else for 1,000 years. Kurisugu was the first person outside their bloodline they had admitted into their ranks, and he betrayed them. Kyrie considers the Einsburns to basically be monsters, and they definitely hate Kurisugu, uh, and by extension, Shiro. Before Shiro leaves, Kyrie asks if he knows any healing magic. He doesn't, so Kyrie asks him uh, to bring any wounded to him. Uh, he'll handle any treatments that aren't beyond help. Shiro asks why he knows healing magic, since it's banned by the church. Kyrie says that after he had someone die in front of him, he decided to acquire it, despite the, chur- despite the church's rules. Whether Kyrie sincerely wants to help victims, or just wants to get more people for his weird flesh-melting dungeon is unclear at this point. Um... I do like, despite how much we know about Kyrie being a terrible person, it is actually kind of vague whether he is legitimately being like, yeah, sure, I'll help out, or if he is actually just getting more people for his flesh dungeon. I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think, like, that is part of what is interesting about Kyrie here. He's definitely doing something fucked up and evil. It's just a matter of, is he doing it just to fuck with Shiro because he thinks it's fun? Is he not doing it to fuck with Shiro because, like, that'll fuck with Shiro more? Like, yeah. K- Kyrie is actually very fun in this route so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like when I like when you can't tell if Kyrie is being, being sincere or not. That's when he's at his best. I... I think, like, the thing that is interesting about Kyrie is, like, sincerity, it is, sincerity is a weird thing for him, because he basically talks about in this conversation, like, yeah, he doesn't really want things in the same traditional way other people do, um, and that makes, like, figuring out what his actions are trying to do, like, kind of hard. He, He doesn't feel, I mean, he's, he's a sociopath. Like, yeah, uh-huh. he is explicitly a sociopath. Um, and so, like, he doesn't feel things in the same way other people do. And so that makes, like, ascribing specific values to his actions much harder. Um, and so, like, that just makes him very fun in these scenes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, outside the church, Saber is oh, uh, pro- sorry. Oh, sorry, go ahead. There's one other thing. Uh, so he also says uh, uh, Kiritsugu desired peace, but it was too simple for this complex world. He had to reject the extra pieces that could not fit into the perfect si- shape, but he sought to save the perfect shape and the extra pieces. And like, yeah, and that's like that's like the core issue with both uh, Kiritsugu and uh, uh, Shiro's ideology. He- he- yeah, Hiro Emiya. Yeah, like it- there is a desire for uh, a world without conflict. Um, but, like, 
there is a failure to accept conflict as valuable in and of itself, even if there are ways, like, you need to build a world in which conflict can be allowed for and solved without murder and death, but, like, Shiro can't accept anything he can't solve by his own two hands. He, he cannot yeah. accept anything he can't build himself, and, like, no, man. Even that whole conversation was about how heroes are defined communally, how, how they are defined by the people who experience the results of those actions. They're not defined by the person taking those actions. And Shiro cannot accept that. He cannot accept... Like, he even says, oh, a hero and a superhero are different things. Um, and they he cannot accept that, like, the world that he and Kiritsugu wanted is something that has to be built with other people. Yeah, like, it's not something he can just do himself. He can't just declare that he's a superhero. Anyways, this game isn't going to pull the trigger on that, but God, I wish this game was communist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so do I. Uh, <laughs> Outside the church, Saber is surprised and possibly frightened to learn that Kyrie was cooperative. <laughs> I love that about Saber. Like, I do love that she's like, he was he was helpful? Yeah. What the fuck? That's worse. Yeah, she assumes the worst and asks a barrage of questions, trying to figure out if Kyrie did something to him. Uh, Shiro can't help but laugh at Saber being overprotective. Saber gets mad at him for not taking her concerns seriously, but, she, but he's... Uh, glad he was able to see this human side of Saber. He says he wishes that he'd been able to choose her as his, as his servant instead of having it happen by accident, so he does the next best thing. He holds out his hand and asks her to fight with him, she, since he needs her help. She, sa sh she shakes his hand and says they both need each other's help. Uh, once again, better scenes with Saber in the route that is not dedicated to her. Uh... At dinner, Saber explains the limitations on what she can do due to Shiro not being able to supply her with magic. Uh, Taiga and Sakura soon arrive, and the meeting with Saber goes like it usually does. Uh, as Sakura and Shiro are cleaning up after dinner, they notice some things have been moved around in the kitchen. Shiro remembers Rin was here earlier that in the day and explains to Sakura that he had hurt himself and Rin helped treat him. Sakura becomes strangely upset and starts asking herself why Rin would have come here, since she has nothing to do with this place. Um, asking herself in, like, such a way that she almost seems to forget the presence of other people and goes into this weird fugue state. Mm-hmm. It's, it's bizarre. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. Uh, yeah. Uh, we cut to Eleven at night, and Shiro and Saber are about to start their patrol of the neighborhood. Saber is trying to ask him what the plan is for tonight, but his mind is on Sakura's strange behavior after he mentioned Rin. Saber eventually snaps him out of it. Uh, he decides to patrol the town tonight, uh, but since it's been str feeling strange lately, uh, yeah. Let me do that again. Uh, Shira decides to patrol town tonight. It's been feeling strange recently, and he'd like to stop something before it happens. Saber agrees and is certain they'll at least find some clues. As they patrol the residential district, they suddenly hear a scream and feel a strong wave of magic. They run toward the scream and find a woman in black biting into the neck of an un unconscious woman's neck. Rather than eating flesh, though, she's sucking out abstract things, like her mind and memory. However, Shiro is more shocked to, to see Shinji there. Shinji Apparently writers of Empire. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Uh... -huh. uh... Shinji immediately admits he staged the scenario to make it obvious to Shiro what the reality of the Grail War is like. He claims that having his servant feed on living humans is, only, is his only option to maintain her magical energy reserves. 
Even now, Shiro tries to order Shinji to stand down so he doesn't have to fight him. Shinji is not going to give him that option, though, and claims he always intended to force Shiro to fight him. At that, Saber begins her duel with Ryder. Shiro knows duel is maybe Shin- a strong word! Yeah, it's... look. Uh, Shiro notices that Shinji isn't giving his servant any support, so he must have become a master by chance like Shiro did. Ryder is fast, though, and Saber is briefly put on the defensive. Shinji orders Ryder to go in for the kill. Quote, we follow Grandfather's orders. It doesn't matter even if we kill Emiya's servant, end quote. Ryder does what she's told, but Saber easily slices her in half as she charges in. Uh, once again, the worst thing to happen to Ryder is following Shinji's orders. Uh-huh. Uh, Shinji immediately turns on Ryder, scolding her for failing. He orders her to get up and fight and continue to berate her. Um, we should note that, like, Shinji, Shinji's cruelty is made, is emphasized here uh, by the fact that, like, the command spell is trying to do, the command spell is, like, going off, uh, but since it is physically impossible for Ryder to carry it out, uh, she is being punished by, like, waves of pain uh, Mm -hmm. for not following the command spell's order. So Shinji is just basically torturing her at this point. Yes. Shinji, Uh, uh, okay. I need to talk about Shinji. Sure. I fucking hate Shinji. So goddamn much. I hate him with every fiber of my being. His existence in this game makes the game markedly worse for me. This motherfucker never faces consequences. (laughs) He never faces consequences, or his consequences are, like, weird and abridged, and it's like... And the game is, like, half of the time telling me he and Shiro are supposed to be friends. And, like, even the framing of, like, Shiro as uh, trapped by Sakura as hostage is a framing that I mostly have in my own head that the game does not follow through on in any real meaningful way a lot of the time. Or at least it doesn't in Fate ever. And the game constantly is trying to tell me, oh, they're friends. Or, oh, there's supposed to be some sort of relationship there. Like, no, he's an abusive rapist. Yeah. He, He is a violent piece of shit monster and like i know i joke refer to uh sakura and him as like child she's 17 and he's 18 like he 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 is a young adult he is an abusive piece of shit rapist and this game constantly puts him in front of my fucking face and makes me acknowledge and interact with him and then does nothing with him yeah i was really hoping this would be the route where like motherfucker just dies but that hasn't happened yet yeah the thing i hadn't quite considered is that for this to be the sakura route means that we'll be seeing a lot more of shinji yeah what what i will say is maybe that means they'll do something with shinji god i hope so or maybe he'll get eaten by worms you know what i'd be okay with him getting eaten uh, by worms i would take it i prefer Uh, it actually i take it back zoken is the one person i don't want to kill him yeah I would prefer if Saber just, like, cut his fucking head off, but... That would be kind of dope. I want Sakura to cut his fucking head off. <laughs> That'd be better. Uh, uh, what I'm I will also sure say, though... Uh, Sakura would do it. <laughs> Saber this is, absolutely would. Uh, this is also the route that we get explicit confirmation that he is physically abusing Sakura. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't think we got that confirmation in either of the other two routes. We got confirmation that he had in the past... But we didn't yes. see anything else. This is the first one we see where he is currently doing it. 
Yeah, it, it, it'll come up specifically in uh, my summary for, I think, day five or six. Yeah, it's I day five, day. I think. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Saber can't stand to watch this happen to Ryder in silence. Uh, quote, blame yourself before you blame Ryder, she tells him. She'd prefer to kill him right now, but she'll follow Shiro's orders and ask him to revoke his command spell and surrender. Shinji continues to try to force Ryder to fight with command spells, but all it does is worsen Ryder's pain. Suddenly, Zokan appears and burns up Shinji's book. Once it disappears, so does Ryder. Zokan explains he never expected victory from a failure like Shinji, but he at least expected... But he at least he expected... Uh, was pride enough to challenge others despite his powerlessness. However, he ended up disgracing the name of Makiri. Zogan calls him far worse than even his good-for-nothing father. Despite this, Shinji is still family, and Zogan gets be- gets between Shinji and Saber to allow Shinji to retreat. Shinji, wisely, runs away. Shiro asks Saber to back away so he can speak to Zogan, but Saber warns him that Zogan is no longer human. <laughs> no shit. Uh, yeah. Shiro, <laughs> Shiro says he knows, but there is something he has to ask before he decides whether or not to fight him. Saber doesn't back away, but she does allow him time to talk. Shiro asks why Shinji was made a master. Zokun replied that he gave the responsibility to his grandson since he can no longer fight. Shiro is surprised to learn that the Mato family is a family of magi. Zokun explains that the bloodline has died out. They used to be allies with the Tosakas, but became enemies once the ritual became violent. Outside of the Grail War, though, they remain friends. Mato were previously called Makiri, but they changed their name when they came to Japan. Sakura was never considered as a possible master, though, since the family only ever has one inheritor. Even if they had tried to adopt her out, no one would have taken her due to her lack of magic circuits. Zokin claims Sakura remains unaware that she's in a family of magi and he, that he won't involve her, which we already know is total bullshit. Yeah, he's definitely lying. Yeah. With their conversation done, uh, Saber picks up the woman and the two of them rush to bring her to the church for healing. As Kyrie treats her in his room, Shiro sits in the church and thinks about what he just learned. He wonders if he has the right to compete against people who have desperately sought the Holy Grail for centuries. Which is a weird... <laughs> Weird way to take that conversation, Shiro. Uh, Kyrie returns and tells him the woman will survive. He then asks if Shiro defeated the master he fought. He nods, and Kyrie tells him not to regret it. Quote, People cannot change the past. All we can do is accept our own actions. If you still wish to be burdened with your sins, let it show in your future actions. It is your choice how to perceive something that has already happened. End quote. Which may be the most... Probably the best advice Kyrie has ever said. <laughs> Kyrie gives Shiro some genuinely good advice here. Yeah, he's right. It rules. <laughs> I love Kyrie in this route. Uh, Kyrie also offers him a piece of advice. He should not feel overwhelmed by the history of the war. Ultimately, it is just another expression of daily life. People fighting to make their dream come true. The Grail simply removes all the pesky hard work that would normally be required to realize a wish. There is nothing special about a shortcut. Shiro leaves the church and lets Saber know the woman will be okay. He then tells her, as of tonight, he's resolved to finish the war. He has no wish that he needs the Holy Grail to grant, but he wants to stop the war as soon as he can to protect others. Saber seems happy to hear this, and she again swears to be his sword and promises never to betray his trust. The last part, 
where she says she'll never betray his trust, is suspiciously emphasized the game by the game, framed all on its own screen. Yeah, so I, I think, again, like there is something important to discuss here. He talks about the Holy Grail War as basically a society writ small, um, of all of these people with different conflicting desires, com- either competing for a single resource, competing for focus. Uh, it, all of these people want something that are at odds with each other. And it is part of like what makes Shiro and uh, uh, Kiritsugu's desire for a world without contact or er, er, conflict, like a nonsensical and childish desire um, yeah. because it refuses to acknowledge the agency of other people as like people who want things, people, people who want things that may come into conflict and like, what you need is a method of resolving that conflict that means people aren't dead, not a world free of conflict in and of itself. Yeah. I also I also kind of like how he like is trying to demystify the Grail War for Shiro. Yeah. Shiro's all like, oh god, this thing has been going on for like a thousand years. Do, am I even fit to like involve myself in this conflict? And Kira's like, no, dude, it's just the same shit every time. Like there's nothing di- there's nothing special about the Grail War. Some mages just figure out a way to make a shortcut for doing actually hard work. Yeah, it, like <laughs> I actually really like that it it like devalues this Holy Grail. Like we've seen time and time again these first two routes. Yeah, the game basically explicitly telling us the Holy Grail ain't shit. The Holy Grail ain't shit. And yeah, then which, Kier- which fits perfectly into like what Rin explained the nature of magic is, is Rin is like, look, mages can't do anything that normal people couldn't do. It's just magic makes it go faster. Like it lets you take a shortcut to accomplish mm-hmm. tasks that you, you could just do normally. Right. Uh, and Kyrie is like, yeah, there's no, there's nothing different when we're talking about the grail. Cause ultimately the grail was made by magi. Mm-hmm. And, and Shiro even like points out, yeah, I don't think the Grail could actually give me my actual wish. It could just make me powerful beyond my actual understanding. And Kyrie doesn't explicitly agree, but he basically smirks and goes, yeah, you got it, man. You cracked that code. Uh, I, I love... I really love Kyrie as... Uh, as like weird mentor guy who you can't fully trust, but you should still you should listen, listen even to. if you don't believe him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh huh. He is so much more fun in this route. Uh, it's great. <laughs> uh, like uh, 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 this whole conversation is like genuinely enjoyable because it is like one of these first instances we see somebody puncturing holes in Shiro's like ideology in a way that isn't like actively hostile. And yeah, so it's cause... the first time we see Shiro like listen and kind of start to internalize that. Yeah. Cause, cause even Rin who has like more affection for Shiro than, uh, Kyrie does like could still get pretty mad when at him when discussing his ideals. Uh, and also like just like chill the whole time. Well, not just that, but, like, Rin, like, explicitly says she doesn't really understand him a lot of the time. And so, like, when she was trying to push back at his ideas and ideals, like, it is hard for it to come from a place where it can reach him. 
And he eventually reached a point where he was just, like, not listening to her at all. Whereas, like, he is in a position with Kyrie right now where, like, Kyrie pretty clearly understands him. Kyrie has pretty clearly understood him in every room. That is the thing that disconcerts him most about Kyrie. Yeah, um, and and we and we know this, and like Kyrie, like explicitly said, pretty much explicitly says this is because he he knew Kuritsugu real well, and Shiro is very much like Kuritsugu, so like mm-hmm. he, he knows what's going on here. He's seen it happen before. Yeah, and, and so like it is interesting to me to see Shiro have his ideals finally start to be punctured as they meet with the real. Like he he is. He is seeing Sakura in positions of vulnerability, and he can't or won't do anything to save her. He is seeing, uh, uh, he is talking to Kyrie, who is forcing him to realize, hey, like this shit, this ain't shit, man. You have to actually pick and do something. Um, it, it is, it is interesting to see the thing that I've wanted to have happen for two roots finally fucking happen. Yeah, in fact, in fact, there is a scene with Rin where Rin tells him something and Shiro does something that I I personally was like, oh, thank fucking God, finally. Uh-huh. Someone says it out loud. Uh-huh. Uh, so, day five, uh, Shiro wakes up the next morning, surprised to see Saber watching over him in his room. While Shiro did force her to sleep in a different room last night, in this route, it seems Saber eventually decided to ignore that request. Uh, Shiro <laughs> insists... Huh? Oh, I, I just think that scene was funny. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Uh, Shiro insists upon going to school as usual, like in the other routes, but this time he's a bit more of an ass to Saber about it, getting frustrated by her being, quote, emotional. (laughs) Fuck you. Okay. Uh, Sakura comes over to help make breakfast, and Shiro notices a bruise on her right cheek. Sakura tells him the obvious lie that she fell down some stairs. Uh, Shiro wonders to himself if it's safe for Sakura to even be around Shinji now, considering how angered he must be from last night. Even Sakura is out of sorts, and she ends up accidentally walking into the closed door on her way out of Shinji. Sorry, out of on her way out of Shiro's house. Uh, at school, Shiro runs into Rin. It seems like Rin is about to scold him, but he quickly takes her aside and begs her to help him figure out how to keep Sakura safe. Though Rin still treats him coldly, she does invite him to meet her at the rooftop during lunch. At class, Shiro notices that both Shinji and Issei's desks are empty. Uh, Taiga manages to arrive before the bell rings and praises herself for being on time for once. (laughs) Good job, Taiga. Uh, I love Taiga! She's so fucking stupid! (laughs) Yeah, whenever you're like, this story is getting a little heavy, Taiga's here to be like, "Let let let me help out a bit. Thank God. Uh, once lunch begins, Shiro rushes up to the roof. He explains he defeated Shinji last night, and now he's worried that Shinji will take out his anger on Sakura. Rin tells him that ending the Grail work quickly isn't realistic, so the best option would be to put Sakura under his protection and separate her from Shinji. Shiro explains he considered that, but he wants to keep her safe from the Grail War, and he's still a master. Plus, he doesn't think Sakura would want to stay at his house. Rin, accurate, uh, accurate as always, tells him to his face that he's dense. Uh, she explains protecting Sakura from Shinji and protecting her from other masters is the same thing, and he should choose the option that lets him take an active role instead of a passive one. Fucking thank you, Rin. Not only that, he also, like, this is the first time he goes, oh, I should, I should ask someone what they want. 
I should, yeah. just, I should just like talk to her and ask her. And it's like, yeah, man, C- correct. Yeah. And, and yeah. like that, that is what I was referring to when I was like, Hey, he's starting to realize he has to engage with what other people want as their desires as like the thing that they, like the, the core issue with his ideology is that failure to acknowledge other people's desires and goals and actions and like hey now he is having to do so yeah <laughs> uh ren also adds that sakura wouldn't come over to make meals with him if she hated him uh shiro agrees that ren is right but doesn't know how she knew that sakura was doing that uh ren quickly comes up an ex- with an excuse and insists that he told her about that part and must have just forgotten she then teases him for a bit as usual before letting him know that she figured out a servant is in- is the cause of the recent spat of the recent uh, spat of comas, and the master is at the Ryudo temple. She warns him they aren't taking lives, but they are attacking indiscriminately. She's decided to wait and observe while Archer heals up. Uh, after school, Shiro buys a bunch of food from the supermarket for future meals. As he heads home, he feels someone tugging at his shirt. He turns around to see Ilya. Shiro greets her with apprehension, but Ilya is in a playful mood. She explains she didn't come to fight. She snuck out specifically to go see him. Ilya takes him to a park nearby to make small talk, but Shiro doesn't know her well enough to know what to talk about. Ilya asks him if he likes her. Shiro is baffled by this question and says it's weird for her to ask that when she attacked him. She says it's not her fault he leaped out in front of Saber, but Shiro argues she was prepared to kill from the very start. Ilya, however, seems hurt by this and claims that she stopped Berserker from finishing him off. Trying to salvage the situation, Shiro tells her he doesn't hate her, and he'd like it if they could be friends. They chat for about an hour. Ilya tells him that she needs to go, since, and later Ilya tells him that she, that she needs to go since Berserker wakes up at night. He asks if he can talk to her again. She says she'll come by the park tomorrow if she feels like it. Before she leaves, she tells him, she was given, she tells him that she was given birth to this world to win the Holy Grail War, and her mission is to kill both him and Kuritsugu. When he gets back home, Shiro finds Taiga and Saber sitting in the living room. Taiga seems... out of sorts. Saber explains that they decide to have a match against each other using Shinai. Taiga complains that Saber was out to kill her. Saber, in mild embarrassment, says she was angry Shiro was late, and Taiga was unexpectedly strong, so she might have gone a little harder than she should have. Oh my god, uh, it's so fucking funny. Yeah. <laughs> I love Taiga. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I, I like Taiga. I also specifically like when Saber interacts with like other min- minor characters. Yes, um, uh-huh. Because, uh, like, we get moments like this where uh, she sort of, like, drops her very serious persona as like, yeah, I kind of, I may have gotten angry. I, I may have bodied your teacher slash big sister because I was annoyed at you. It's <laughs> fine. Like, I mean, I didn't mean to, but we're cool. Yeah, it's very funny. Uh, uh, Taiga tells Shiro that he shouldn't try making a move on Saber, otherwise he'll end up dead. <laughs> Saber, not understanding the context, explains to Taiga not to worry about Shiro. If that was his command, she would not fight back. Also, she'll be sleeping in his room anyway. This fucking scene is so goddamn funny. It's just like, 
the slow buildup of her basically like getting up and stretching just completely calm as she was just like fuck me she's gonna kick my ass fuck yeah, me she's gonna so, kick my ass yeah Saber's like well I mean he's my master so if he wanted that then <laughs> and, and Tyga's just like getting up and just getting ready like cracking or rolling her neck cracking her fingers and Chiro's just like oh I'm gonna die and then yeah. she beats his ass and it's so fucking funny yeah so specifically Tyga puts him in a chokehold uh, but he's eventually able to explain that she will be sleeping in the room next to him uh, Saber doesn't like it, but she agrees to compromise. Uh, he also tells Taiga that he'll be asking Sakura to stay over too, since she doesn't seem to be feeling well recently. Uh, when Sakura arrives, Shiro asks her to stay at his place for a week. Sakura guesses correctly that he's worried about her. Uh, she agrees, but realizes after dinner that she doesn't have any extra clothes to use for the week. Uh, she doesn't want to go back home to get some, because it would mean she wouldn't, she couldn't come back to Shiro's place. Taiga can lend her pajamas, but they'll need to buy underwear for her. Taiga, in a very this un- whack. yeah, in a very uncharacteristic move, tells Shiro exactly what Sakura's cup size is after she's left the room. Uh, when Taiga thinks she's out of earshot, and asks Shiro if he's noticed how sexy her body is now, and also asks Shiro like, "Hey, I bet you want to touch her, don't you?" And do things to her. It's very bizarre. Like. What it's clearly going for here is big sister teasing a younger brother about somebody who she knows for a fact also has a crush on him. Like, uh, it it is clear she is aware that both of them are into each other, and she is, like, fucking with him because of that, because that's, like, an older sibling thing to do. But, like, the way it's written is just weird and yeah, like it's written in the, in the le- most lecherous way possible that also doesn't make sense for how taiga has been written so far right like taiga would absolutely tease him but not like this uh anyway uh bad rom-com shit happens let's move on from that uh while sakura takes a bath uh, saber asks if shiro Saber asks Shiro if she has bad eyesight uh, since she since Sakura keeps walking to walls. Uh, Shiro says that Sakura's eyes are fine and she's probably just tired. Saber says she hopes so, but she doubts her clum- clumsiness is being caused by fatigue. Also, she's been in the bath for an hour now. Both Shiro and Saber are worried, so Shiro decides to go check on her. He knocks on the bathroom door, which seems to wake her up, since she claims she had fallen asleep in the bath. She starts to get out when Shiro suddenly hears a loud thump. He opens the door to find Sakura collapsed. Her forehead is hot. She is dressed, by the way. Uh, Her forehead is hot, and she appears to be sick. He carries her to her bed in the guest room. At Sakura's request, he agrees to stay with her until she goes to sleep. Uh, After he leaves her room, he meets up with Saber to discuss strategy. They both agree they should check on Ryudo Temple, but Shiro is worried about committing to a full-on assault. They'll scout out what they can, and Saber agrees to follow Shiro's lead if he decides they should retreat. We cut to an interlude at the Ryudo Temple. An unknown entity of Shadow has just defeated the fake assassin assassin, Sasaki Kojiro, and he's using his body to summon a true assassin. The assassin crawls out of Sasaki's stomach and devours his body. The more he consumes, the more the insect becomes more like a man. Later, Saber and Shiro approach the gate at the front entrance and are surprised to find it unguarded. 
By the time they make it to the temple, both are on edge. Uh, it's too quiet. They head into the shrine and find Kuzuki dead and Castor standing over him with a bloody rule breaker. Castor appears to be in shock. She claims she did not kill him, but she might have if she knew things would have turned out this way. Uh, Saber easily defeats Castor in one blow. The way Castor says this makes it, and based on what we know of Castor's, how Castor feels about Kuzuki, almost makes it feel like she says that because like she, if she knew how things would have turned out, she would have killed him like as a mercy, is how I interpreted uh, that. Uh, yeah, I interpreted it as like either as a mercy or as like a kill him before she could have fallen in love with him and have this turn out like this again. Yeah, because like yeah. I mean, we we know what her backstory is. Like, mm-hmm. she would not want to get left behind like this again. Only this time, you know, with it being uh, uh, him leaving her behind in death. Yeah. Um. Su- sucks to be caster. <laughs> Really? Yeah, no, uh, this is one of those other things that I actually, like, really do like about the different routes, though, is, like, instead of it being a new random straight, I mean, it kind of is, but, like, instead of it being just new random threats each time, it is uh, shifting around what pieces are, like, major antagonists in different ways each time, In and, it, like, that's interesting, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, Caster just immediately jobbing like this is wild yeah because like she was a big deal um and like even in the even in the fate route she would have been a big deal if like archer hadn't if uh gilgamesh archer hadn't finished her off and that's just because gilgamesh is fucking op Um, yeah um it is interesting though like this immediately takes rule breaker out like rule breaker's gone yeah, so clearly, uh, Saber's so clearly Saber's gonna be fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no threats there. The threat yeah. is gone. Problem solved. Uh, so as they begin to leave, um, oh, actually, sorry. Uh, so Saber defeats Caster. Um, as they begin to leave, Shiro stops, telling Saber he feels like they're being watched. However, Saber cannot sense anything. They leave, and we get another brief interlude where the mysterious entity summoned by Sasaki's, uh, summons from Sasaki's corpse devours Kuzuki's, too. Later that night, uh, after Shiro goes to sleep, he has an unusual dream. He's having sex with Rin, but it seems to go on longer than a wet dream normally would. In addition, there's a strange visual distortion, and at one point Rin's pupils appear like red squares. Uh, so yeah, this is technically a, a sex scene, but it's not really there for that purpose. It's more so, as like a... Yeah, I, I actually have a lot of feelings specifically about the writing in this sex scene. Yeah, um, go ahead. So this is, A, I think the first sex scene in the game that I feel like not including would mean you are actually missing something. Yeah, I, it does. I, 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 I actually think... kind of agree. I think the presence of this specifically as a sex scene, especially in the context of the previous sex scenes, is valuable. Um, because, A, we know this isn't Rin's route, because you have to have played Unlimited Blades work, Unlimited Blade Works before this, and you've already done Rin's route. So, like, there is an inherent... Uh, if you are familiar with the structure of visual novels or uh, dating games in general, like, y- there is an inherent sense of disconcertion uh, uh, with that out the gate. Yeah, because you'd um, expect the person here to be Sakura, not Rin. Exactly. Um, and 
this it, the writing okay so the writing in this scene is weird because it is fairly similar to a lot of the other sex scene writings but because it is letting itself lean in a direction of horror uh, of like constant disconcertion of uh, uh, Sakura being described at, or not Sakura, uh, Rin being described uh, in varying ways as like insect-like or uh, lizard-like, uh, uh, like inherently consumptive of Shiro, uh, uh, of a threat there. It ends up with uh, uh, the violence of the scene feeling much more appropriate down yeah. to the way Shiro describes uh, his like actual physical feelings. Uh, uh, they're again very similar to how sex has been described in other ways, um, but it it makes sense here because this is a scene in which something is clearly trying to consume something of Shira. Yeah, like he's he's being drained by some entity. That being said, I do have to talk about the sexual politics of this game because yeah. holy fuck, does this highlight how fucking whack they are? Uh huh. So, Especially because like. This isn't. This, we know this isn't Rin, but it's also the the one, the one sex scene where the woman appears to be actually enjoying yes. herself. So, and this it's is also the, the one that is supposed to be unnerving. So, this is the first and only sex scene in the game so far where a, the woman has participatory agency. B, the woman is initiating in any way. C, the woman has an active amount of desire and is actively enjoying herself to the point where she is seeking out more. And C, the most amount of her experiencing explicit pleasure, untempered by being in pain, by blood, by violence. Uh, yeah. Um, and so it is the – and that is the one that is the disconcerting horror mode sex scene. And, and like that is so wildly fucked. When you consider yeah. all of the other sex scenes as, like, these things that are supposed to be intimate and um, uh, emotional, but, like, they're all tempered by the woman being uh, uninterested, or not uninterested, but, like, uh, uh, resistant in some way. Um, and, like, just general. I mean, we've talked about those other sex scenes a bunch, but, like, this is the only one where she is actively into it, actively desiring it. And uh, she is described in terms like uh, she looks too horny to be called lovely. And it's like, damn, now, so you are telling on yourself a bit, huh? Yeah, uh-huh. But, like, and uh, uh, there is a part of me that wonders if this is going to come back to Sakura. Yeah. Because she has described herself as a quote-unquote good girl. And, like, feelings like lust are going to be things that would classify as her being a bad girl and like Nasu, if you make her wanting to have sex be a thing that makes her go sicko mode i'm gonna be so mad at you yeah especially because like I I'm, I'm also thinking about this in context of like bakemonogashiri where like there is also a character like in bakemonogashiri whose whole thing is like she is supposed to be the pure good girl and she feels like she's failing that because she has these emotions towards oh, Aragi, oh my god character. And in Bakemonogatari, that whole idea of purity is treated like, well, yeah, it's bullshit. You don't, you're, you're still a I good just, person. I just want soccer to be Hanakawa, don't I? Yeah, you do. Fuck me. 
Hey, yeah. by the way, man, Bakemonogatari like does fucking work with both Senjigahara and uh, Hanakawa, huh? Yes, it does. <laughs> like, I actually really like. I have I have a lot of complaints with Bakemonogatari, but the way it handles both Senjigahara and and Hanakawa's like uh, character arcs is legitimately fantastic. <laughs> Also, like, the, at least those works, like, treat them wanting to have sex as, like, regular. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, and, like, again, as I mentioned, like, with Hanakawa, the the whole, like, one of the points it makes is, like, it, it's not a it's not a bad thing for wanting to... It's not a bad thing to be horny. <laughs> like... Uh, yeah, uh, but, like, there, this, this whole game treats desiring another person uh in a physical way as an inherently violent act and it's so weird yeah like ev- like that that is what is actually making this sex scene uh feel disconcerting and horrifying it's because we're on the other end of how shiro has treated sex every time in this game yeah yeah <laughs> Like, th- how Shiro feels, this is just how, uh, it, this is just the perspective that uh, uh, Rin or uh, Saber would have had. Like, and it's like, man, you are so close to realizing something, but, like, you just aren't. I, yeah, because, yeah, like, the the way that Rin, Rin acts about sex in this scene is, like, much closer to what I would have actually wanted from the real sex scene in, in Limited Blade Works. But in yeah. here, it's, like, treated as, like, an violent. indication that something is wrong. Yes. <laughs> it like, is ah, violent. It on. is consumptive. It is uh, um, uh, an act that is actively hostile towards Shiro. And it is an act that literally mars the attraction he has for her. Yeah. Also, what's wild is that, is that like... Like, what's truly wild to me is that, like, the the game is presenting this as, like, well, clearly Rin would never do this. This is, like, some some weird, like, combination of whatever entity is doing this to Shiro combined with Shiro's own desires for Rin. But in, it explicitly says but she's in too my poor. mind, But in my mind, I'm thinking, well, of course Rin would act like this during sex. This is what she acts like when she's interacting with Shiro normally as this dominating force. Like, well, yeah, Rin is a top. Like, we all know. Yeah, like this. Of course, this is how she would have sex. This is normal. That this is this is what I would expect to see of Rin. Yeah, um, it's very it's very much a disconnect between how maybe not even how like uh, I, I was gonna say how um, Nasu views his characters, but I think it's more like what Nasu views attractive about his characters versus, like, what his audience, and specifically me, thinks is cool about his characters. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, maybe we, I think it, we just have different priorities. <laughs> I mean, we absolutely have different priorities. Like, I, I can tell you guaranteed we have different priorities. Um, yeah, I, I think this sex scene is really frustrating. Because it is simultaneously immediately evocative. It is incredibly effective. It is... uh, uh, The thing that it reminds me of is that kind of sense of uh, uh, horror the movie Alien can provide. Yeah. Uh, uh, 
but unlike Alien, which is explicitly engaging with gender and sex and the uh, relationship those two things have, um, instead this game's just kind of wildly misogynist a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, like, it, Alien is a, is a work that is explicitly engaging with the violence inherent to a lot of sexual dynamics. Um, it, it is a work that is explicitly about, like, rape and impregnation via rape. Um, yeah, and and also how, like, you know, uh, corporations, like, it's not just about exploiting labor, but, like, labor is also your body. Like, corporations yes. exploit your body. Um, in, mm-hmm. in much the same way that a, a, a sexual abuser exploits it. Yes. Um, and like, you know, we, we can, that's a different podcast where we talk about the uh, effectiveness <laughs> or, uh, um, of Alien, but like, yeah. it is at least trying to do something there. Yeah, it, it, this, it has very clear intent. It, yes. Whereas this is like, maybe I'll change my tune by the end of Heaven's Field. But as it stands, I don't believe Nasu is doing something with regards to sex. Um, and part of that is in the fact that you can turn off sex scenes. Yeah. If this work had the sex scenes as an inextricable part of it, like, you wouldn't be able to turn off the sex scenes and have a coherent narrative. Um, and, like, we, we even talked about, like, how uh, in Unlimited Blade Works... Uh, the non-sex scene version of the sex scene is literally better and more yeah. interesting. Um, and so I don't buy that. For this scene to work, especially in the context of the previous sex scenes, it can't come as the fourth or fifth sex scene in a work where the other three were already like this, but that was good, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh Every every time we get a new sex scene, some it's disappointing have, in a new have, way. Every time, yeah, it's disappointing in a completely new way. It's wild. All right, day six. Uh, yeah, Shiro dreams about the fire ten years ago. Uh, immediately after having a succubus experience, Shiro's like, "Damn that fire, though." Uh, this time, though, uh, we get an earlier time in the events than we've seen before. His parents rush him out of the burning house, and he sees a black sun in the sky, with shadowy tendl- tendl- tendrils reaching up toward it. When he wakes up, though, he doesn't actually remember seeing anything like that in reality. In addition, he feels exhausted. It feels like, it feels like an effort just to stand up. Taiga comes in to take his temperature and diagnoses him with a cold. Taiga instructs the Saber to watch over him and make sure he doesn't try to do much. Uh, Saber is more than happy to carry out these orders. Yeah. Uh, there's even a, a, a joke about, like, Saber tying him down. <laughs> and Saber's like, yeah, sure, sounds good. <laughs> uh, after Taiga leaves, uh, Sakura comes into Shiro's room and tells him she wants to skip school to take care of him as a way of showing appreciation for how he helped her yesterday. Shiro acquiesces to this request. She makes him lunch and does a pretty good job of making sure he stays in bed instead of wandering around. At one point, Sakura leans in to take his temperature again, and Shiro feels her body against him. It reminds him of the dream he had of Rin last night, and he suddenly freaks out. He lets slip that he had a weird dream, and Sakura asks him what it was about. 
If Shiro evades the question, Sakura seems frustrated but quickly drops the subject. Uh, if you tell her it was a dream involving Rin, uh, she goes quiet and seems quite disappointed and then leaves the room. <laughs> After lunch, Shiro decides to clean the dishes as a test to see if he's feeling better. Saber mentions that he seems pale and is worried that the temple may have been set up to drain his energy. As Sakura and Saber work together to clean the kitchen, uh, Shiro suddenly remembers his promise to Ilya and sneaks out of the house. At first, Ilya isn't there, but just as he's about to go back home, he feels himself get paralyzed, as if he's turning to stone. Ilya reveals she was testing how observant he was, and he definitely failed the test. He was... She was just sitting on the bench right next to him, and Shiro just didn't notice. Uh, she releases him from the spell. Uh, she's surprised he came, since she said he had she had to kill him. He asks if killing him is more important to her than talking to him, and she seems genuinely distressed by this conundrum. Eventually, he offers her a meal, and they start chatting. She reveals she came here along with her two maids. Uh, uh, Shiro asks where she lives, and Ilya uses her magic to show him... Sorry... Uh, to clarify, she reveals that she came to Japan with her two maids, not to the park. Uh, I just realized that wasn't clear in the way I wrote the summary. Uh, Shiro asks where she lives, and Ilya uses her magic to show him a vision of the route to the castle. His, visual, his vision eventually moves to her room, and he sees her maids con conversing. Lazeret, one of the maids, mentions that she's to, quote, dress Ilya with heaven's feel, th the third dress, end quote. However, she doesn't like that job, since Ilya hates the dress. Uh, Ilya shakes him to bring him back to his body. She explains she used her magic specially uh, to connect his mind to other objects she was familiar with. It's not a power that's suited for offense, but magi will often use it to keep their bodies safe by scouting with a familiar or some other object they could connect with. She then asks if he'll chat with her tomorrow. He promises to do so, and next time he'll show her his house. Shiro returns home to a very angry Saber and Sakura. Saber says that since he's feeling good enough to sneak out, he must be feeling well enough for her to train him. Sakura encourages her to go all out. Uh, I'll pause here in case you have anything you want to say about the Ilya segment. Not really. Uh, like, I don't know. I, I want to see more about Ilya and see where this route takes her. So that I don't just go, man, Ilya kind of confuses me and I don't really like her very much in this game. I feel like her presence is, like, weird and unnecessary at best, or, like, actively gross at worst. I want to like the presence of Ilya a lot. I do too! Um, because, like, they just it, don't it, do anything with her! Yeah, um... Because, like, I, I like the idea of, of someone who doesn't really... Who doesn't who doesn't have the upbringing to, like, really grasp what the grail is from a morality that, like, we are familiar with. Like, she's just doing what she's told. Um, you uh, really uh, well, okay, Ilya is, again, an abused child literally turned into an instrument of the grail war. Yeah. She is an actualization of, like, the thing that Rin and... Er, Rin is. Like, she is literally the grail itself. Um, yeah, and, like... like and Berserker, despite having his sanity taken from him, like, realizes what's happening to Ilya well enough to, like, still want to be this sort of surrogate f 
father figure to her like the the one the one bright spot in her existence that like isn't trying to take advantage of her right and like even her relationship with shiro i actually really like because i like shiro having something that feels like close and intimate with somebody without wanting to fuck them yeah like Shiro is a person who has been devoid of family, devoid of relationships for his in- almost entire life. Even his relationship with Kiritsugu is something that, like, he admired and looked up to him and, like, I'm sure cared for him. But, like, there is a distance to that relationship that you can feel every time that he talks about Shiro, or, uh, Kiritsugu. Yeah. Um, and, like, I-, I like Shiro having this space or-, or this person that he can have this closeness to and this desire to care for um beyond just a person he wants to fuck uh, and a member of his family who can he can be close to without like that being weird they just don't do anything with her ever and like she is positioned in all of these interesting ways but the positioning isn't enough you then have to do something with her to make that positioning mean things yeah like and instead they're just like what if we just killed her off yeah, even even this stuff is just basically a repeat of the stuff that happened with her in Fate. Like right. the the most interesting thing they've done with Ilya since her introduction in Fate is like the flashback scene we get from Berserker's perspective in Unlimited Blade Works. Yeah. <laughs> which which like is good, but man, it it, it sure does make for feelings of like lost potential <laughs> I, I am like i, I want uh, i need them to do something with Ilya, and like th- that is like the thing that is making me hopeful for heaven's feel is like they are positioned to do something like yeah like this they, stuff is set putting her in a position to do something to mean something yeah they name drop the name of the root here in connection with Ilya. so like clearly she's going to be very important to this route. I just hope it's not just, like, all plot that happens to her. I I hope that she gets to be a character. Like, <laughs> this is a game about people that are, like, abused or hurt by their parents or by their caretakers in some way. Even Shiro. Like, yeah. Kiritsugu is, like, a person who cared for him, but, like, the relationship he has with Kiritsugu is also, like, not really healthy, and, like, uh, but Shiro is maybe the one who is hurt the least, It, but, like, you have Sakura, you have, even Shinji is somebody who has clearly been abused his whole life, even if he is a rapist, abusive monster. Yeah, like Rin by, you know, both the expectations placed on her by her father as like a, a mage and also by Kyrie being a magi. Her, yeah. And also by Kyrie being like her weird pseudo guardian. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, and like it keeps not doing anything. And then, we, but like heaven's feel is the one where I'm like, Oh, this is where y'all are about to start doing something, huh? Because of everything with Sakura has me like, Oh, Okay, you only set this up if you're setting up someone going sicko mode, huh? Yeah. Like, you you, you only set up a person who is described as a fortress with nothing but a blade, or, or with no blade, uh, if, you in, if you don't intend to break that fortress and give them a blade. Yeah, yeah, one would hope so. 
I, I can't wait to get to the end of this route and be like, hmm, I do think Sakura should have killed them all. <laughs> Sakura can have little murder as a treat. <laughs> Aren't you tired of being na- nice? Don't you just want to go ape shit? Uh, I agree. Don't you just want to go ape shit, Sakura? <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, after a couple of hours of training, uh, Sakura waves him down and Saber agrees to let him take a break. Sakura tells him there's a phone call for him. Rin is on the other end, and very angry at him for skipping class without letting her know. She had placed a scout at the Ryoto Temple and saw that he had gone there despite her warning. When he didn't show up again, she assumed he might have been killed. He lets her know that Castor and her master are both dead. Before he hangs up, Rin tells him to come to school tomorrow, since she has something important to talk to him about. <laughs> I-, I love that even after, like, Rin's like... We're going to be enemies from now on. Like, the moment she thinks that Shiro might have gotten himself killed, she's, like, calling him at his house, being like, oh, God, I hope he's not killed. And then being like, how dare you not tell me you weren't dead? I, I do think it is interesting because, like, by this point, they're already – they're always explicit collaborators, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I do think it is interesting that, like, they are explicitly not collaborators right now. Like – they, they both, like, are not active enemies, but, like, they do not have a partnership in the same way they do in both of the other routes. Um, and, like, that is that is interesting to me. Um, because that opens up, like, potential lines for Shiro that could not have existed when he was working with uh, Rin. Yeah. Um. Also, it's just, it's, just, it's just very funny every time Rin tells on herself. Uh, it is very funny. It, it is very funny when she just accidentally snitches on herself. Uh, anyway, so Sakura seems upset uh, about him getting a call from Rin, and she asks him what happened to make him seem so happy. Uh, Sh- Shiro says he's angry, actually, but that just makes Sakura more frustrated. She says he doesn't even notice it himself. Uh, as they make dinner, they hear the doorbell start ringing incessantly. Sakura goes to answer it, and Shiro, who has a bad feeling about it, follows her. Shinji is on the other end and is furious that Sakura hasn't come home. Shinji punches her in the face, and she falls to the floor. He then claims that Shiro shouldn't be mad, since both of them are just using Sakura as they please. Shiro goes to punch him back, but Sakura stops him. She begs Shinji not to start anything in front of Shiro, and says she'll do anything he says if he, if, uh, he behaves. Shinji, who clearly just came here to assert... Uh, control over Sakura tells her she can stay at Shiro's place Shinji leaves and they return to making dinner but that doesn't last long she drops a bowl and then suddenly collapses again just like she did last night he takes her to her room again and makes her night and makes her rice porridge for dinner after she goes to sleep Shiro tells Saber they won't be patrolling tonight he's too worried about Sakura Saber is fine with this plan, especially since she's not convinced that he's fully recovered either. Shiro thanks her. Saber slyly asks if he has a reward for uh, uh, for his considerate servant. Saber slyly asks if he has a reward for his considerate servant as she reaches for her tea. Understanding exactly what she's getting at, Shiro goes to get the cookies Taiga bought for Saber to go along <laughs> with her tea. Saber fucking rules, dude. Ah. Uh... God, Saber's such a good character. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so, like, what is partly interesting here is that 
like I'm not sure if if Nasu actually knows this or not, but like Shinji definitely has the vibes of a realistic abuser, where like yes. He 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 gives he he's giving Sakura just enough quote unquote freedom here to like make it make it look like he is being generous. Well, also uh, like there is an implicit threat here that like she is going to suffer for this defiance when she gets back. Yeah, and like see, this is why I hate. Uh, Shinji, and I think his presence is a net negative so far on the game, is because he is just literally an abuser. Yeah. Like, he, he is, he is, and like, I get, yeah, oh, he is an abused child who grew up to be an abuser. Yep, that, that sure seems accurate and correct. But it's just presented here, and nobody reacts to it. Yeah, there's, like, so far there has been no follow-through on that in either Fate or in Limited Blade Works. Um, because, like, in Fate, God, what happens to Shinji in Fate? Does he just... Doesn't he die? Yeah, I think he just fucking dies. Um, and then... I'm, I'm looking up right now. Yeah, and then in, in, in Unlimited Blade Works, it's it's almost worse because, like, uh, you know, he, he gets turned into the meat monster, and he gets taken out by Rin, and in the epilogue, it's like, oh yeah, he got better. He's, he's not a dick anymore. It's like, I don't believe that. Oh yeah, Ilya um, kills Shinji. Huh? Ilya kills Shinji. Oh, right, okay. Yes, yes, you're correct. Ilya kills him right after Saber finishes off uh uh Ryder. Yeah. Yeah, so like there there's no follow through on Shinji in either route that is particularly satisfying. Well, not one... only is like there no follow through, no one in the world really reacts like he is the literal abuser that he is, like Outside of Sakura. Sakura absolutely hits me as, like, yeah, she is somebody who has been abused her whole life. That sure seems right. Yeah. But, like... I, it is mostly just frustrating to me that we get so much interiority into Shiro. And we get nothing about how Shinji is a disgusting, violent monster. Um, Ever. Like, we get so much of his internal emotions, so much of his internal reactions. We get all of this internal monologue about how he wants to fuck the people around him. But, like, the person that he cares about, uh, or a person that he cares about being abused, and we don't get, like... Yeah, the most interiority we get is, like, Shiro going, it's Shinji being Shinji, and then, like, maybe, depending on your choice, he decides to punch him or not. Or try to punch him. Like... It is just so frustrating that we have this character who is this cipher, who has this desire to uh, stop all conflict and protect everybody, who then just is a stoic non-reaction. He is inert when faced with this violence and injustice in front of him, outside of like this one attempt to like punch Shinji, but that's only because we see him literally punch Shinji or punch Sakura in front of us, like. Yeah, and I also want the game Shiro to be as angry as I am. That. <laughs> I mean, yes, also that. But like, I, I want Shiro to be as angry as I am. I want Shiro to be conflicted and hurt because he cares about this person who is suffering. Yeah, and like, he's just not. He's just inert, and it's so upsetting because I want him to care, and it feels like he doesn't. Yeah, he cares more but, about saber fighting. <laughs> yes, literally, yes. 
He agonizes more about saber fighting than about Sakura being literally abused to the point where he has active permanent evidence. I want him to be disgusted by the implication Shinji makes that they're both uh, uh, abusing Sakura. Yeah. Yeah, he's like he's he's com- he doesn't have any reaction to that is the what is the weird thing. Yeah, it, and like that is what like, is so upsetting he's, he's about. He's had other reactions when he's been compared to other people. Like when Archer tells him that they are both the same, like he has a lot of words to say about that. <laughs> but when Shinji mm-hmm. says, "Oh, we're both the same," he just has no response. It, yeah, uh, like if you're going to do this, a uh, picture perfect relief of an abusive monster, like. Even if you're not doing something with it, I expect you to do the bare minimum of, like, allowing characters to react in a way that makes me not hate them. Yeah. And, like, seeing Shiro react like this constantly makes me like him less and less and less with every passing scene. Yeah. Ugh. Shinji is a net negative on this game because he makes me like every other character less for his presence. <laughs> Uh, e- even Rin, because, like, honestly, like... Uh, How the fuck has Rin not stabbed him in his sleep? Yeah, because we've had multiple implications now, um, primarily in Unlimited Blade Works, but also we got one in early on in Heaven's Field during Shiro's conversation with Rin on the roof, that, like, Rin has been, for mysterious reasons, like, checking in on Sakura or spying on, on her possibly. But either way, like she, she seems to be aware of Sakura's day-to-day life. So it, it, it I seems have unlikely friend... to me that Rin would not be aware of what's happening between Sakura and Shinji. I have had friends like Rin. Every single friend I've had who I would describe as being similar to Rin would have stabbed this motherfucker in his sleep oh, or yeah. come to me and at least asked for my permission to do so. Yeah, because, like, Rin, Rin may be, like, unfamiliar with violence, um, but also she doesn't Rin does have, not have the moral qualms! Yeah, no, she doesn't have the same ideology that Shiro does, <laughs> like... She explicitly has a counter-ideology, which is, like, yeah, man, murder that motherfucker. Yeah. She's a mage! Yeah, so, uh, honestly, like... Yeah, it both it both hurts Shiro and also it hurts Rin because I'm I'm sitting here thinking like why hasn't Rin done anything either like why is she completely absent whenever these sorts of things happen? Yeah, it's um, it's just exhausting and frustrating. Uh, anyway, uh, later that night, um, Sakura catches Shiro practicing his magic in the shed. They both sit by the stove he just fixed and chat for a bit. Sakura remembers how he once got mad and said he'd rather fix the VCR Taiga cut in half simply because the stove was so old it seems beyond repair. Uh, she talks about how when she was a child, she always stayed in the house and couldn't say and couldn't say what she wanted. Quote, I thought everything would work out if I didn't say anything, end quote. Sakura asks if he has any stories from when he was a child, and Shiro says he used to go to the park and fight with bullies. Uh, Sakura says uh, she would have been his sidekick if she had met him when she was a kid. She then asks him a strange question. Quote, would you be able to forgive me if I became a bad person? 
uh, uh, sorry, would you be able to forgive me if I become a bad person, end quote. No, he replies, I'd get more mad than anybody else, end quote. Uh, she says she's, especially considering what we just talked about with Shinji, makes me more mad about that particular response from Shiro. Uh, she says she's glad and she'd want him to do that. They both leave the shed. As Shiro goes to sleep, he remembers how, two years ago, Sakura would come by every day trying to help him. He initially tried to refuse her, but eventually gave up. He gave her a key to his shed, and he recalls that it was the last time her smile looked satisfied. Uh, back at the temple, Lancer has a fight with the new assassin, who so far uh, only reveals himself as a white skull that throws daggers. Lancer manages to knock the skull mask from Assassin, revealing a flat and completely featureless face. Assassin retreats across... It, it is so funny that, like, it is a skull mask over a skull that looks almost identical. It's yeah. so fucking funny. <laughs> uh, uh, it is the funniest possible goof. Assassin retreats across the water and Lancer pursues. His path, his path is cut off by tentacles erupting from beneath the water, though. Um... Lancer attempts to retreat, but his heart is gouged out by a technique from Assassin called the Cursed Hand, a magic of the Middle East, specialized in cursing people. It is Assassin's noble phantasm, and its name is Zabanaya. Uh, Assassin eats the heart, and the entity lurking beneath the water eats the body. And Day 6 ends on that note. Yeah, so... I mean, obviously, uh, True Assassin... Um, is going to be an issue moving forward, but I don't have a whole lot to say there um, because, like, there's just like not a lot. Sub I mean, it is a bummer that Lancer's dead. I hate that. I, yeah. I do hate that Lancer is dead because Lancer fucking rules. Lancer is like maybe my favorite character. Uh, I yeah, I knew this was coming because the I have seen the first Heaven's Feel movie, and the one thing I remember about that movie is like it starts with Lancer getting murked. Oh wow. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's actually a surprise. Yeah. Oh, don't the Heaven's Feel movies basically like operate under the assumption like, yeah, you already know what it is. You you have consumed uh, Fate and Unlimited Blade Works in some capacity before now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that that kind of makes sense. But yeah. like, I, I don't have much to say about that just because like we haven't seen the ramifications yet. I, however, have many things to say about. Could you forgive me if I became a bad person? <sighs> yeah. Uh so. I am choosing to hope that the thing we will discover here is this conflict is going to be what breaks Shiro out of these idea his current ideologies. Um, because we already know that by Sakura's metric, she already thinks of herself as a bad person. Like, or... Maybe I am assuming too much, but, like, we know four years ago she was a quote-unquote bad girl, and she has constructed this identity of herself as a quote-unquote good girl since then as, like, an abused child. Like, this is a thing that happens with abused child. Like, th this is not an uncommon thing. Um, and so this blaming of herself and this desire for punishment from a person she cares about is like one of the few ways she can conceptualize affection and care now yeah. and like sort of the way i'm interpreting this scene is that sakura i think like 
believes that at one point in the past she was a bad person. She eventually became a good girl, and that's sort of like the the sequence of time where she really got to know Shiro, and they became close. And now, sort of in context of the scene in the worm room, um, I think Sakura... My interpretation is Sakura is realizing that through one way or another, she is going to become a bad person again. And she is asking him this in the hopes that like, he will stop her. (laughs) And she is relieved when, cause she's, cause she's probably worried that like, Oh, if, if Shiro, if I do something bad, if I become this bad thing, Shiro might be too attached to me to protect himself or protect other people. So, uh, my pushback against that is we already know that it's not even necessarily action she thinks makes her a bad person. It is merely desires. Because, like, part of what describes her as a bad girl in that one scene is her desire for Shiro to fail. Oh, true, yeah. And so, like, I think she doesn't ask this question if she is not already having desires that she thinks makes her a bad girl. Yeah. Like, she she is already having these feelings. She has already had that chink in her, in her armor, um, which is apparently Rin Tosaka for some reason. Um, and, like, that jealousy or uh, uh, anger or whatever it is she's feeling towards Rin that let Zoken in in some capacity to manipulate her. Like, she is already feeling those things. And if she is already feeling those things, she has already failed to be a good person. And if she has failed to be a good person, that means she has to be a bad person. And so, like, she doesn't ask this question if she doesn't think she's already there, and if she doesn't already want somebody to punish her for her action. Or or not even for her actions, for her desires. Okay, yeah, I can see that. What, What was throwing me off is, like, the tense that she uses, because she specifically says, like, become. I, I mean, I, I think, like, that to me is her trying to disambiguate and uh, frame it as, like, she already thinks of herself as a bad person, which means she's going to do something bad in the future, and Shiro will think of her as a bad person. Ah, like, okay. You, yeah. you don't ask. You don't ask somebody like. You don't say, "Could you forgive me if I was a bad person? Like, if I became a bad person? Like, it, her framing it like that is her not wanting to admit to Shiro she is already that." To me, yeah, that makes sense. But, like, I, I think if she didn't, or if she wasn't at least afraid she was already a bad person, or like unassailably on that route, I, I don't think she asked this question. You know. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, uh, again, I'm doing a lot of legwork for this game here, so like I could be wrong, <laughs> but like that—that that is how I read Sakura so far. And like for this game's flaws, it does a lot of work in presenting both an ex- somebody who is explicitly an abuser in such a way that I cannot believe it is accidental, uh, and somebody who is explicitly abused in, in Sakura and Shinji, like. It is hard for me to believe Shinji is anything other than, like, intentionally written to be an abuser because of how explicitly and precisely he is written. Uh, And it is hard for me to buy uh, Sakura as anything other than, like, a victim of that abuse, like, trying to cope with that. And so, like, 
a lot of my interpretation of her is in that context. Yeah. But let's not forget the interpretation that Gen Uroguchi had, which uh, this route is actually about the dark side that all women have and how men can accept that and love women regardless. Mm, I, I mean, but even even that, I think, <laughs> lends itself to the... Yeah, I, I think it lends itself to the interpretation of, of what's about to happen here. Uh, it's just Uroguchi is fucked up about women. so he We, we have already me. established that Gen Uroguchi and I... Have things to discuss. <laughs> um, I think Yen is habitually wrong about his own works. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't think I've ever like, read an interview where Urubushi talked about his own stuff. So I'll take your word for it. I don't. I, I believe you, though, based on how. Let me just pull up the list of Yen Urubushi works where I think he's wrong. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, th there's everything he's ever said about Madoka. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, that that's, like, the major one. I, I think he's, like, been a little ass-headed about Psychopaths, but nothing major comes to mind. It's really just Madoka that I'm about ready to throw hands with him over. That's fair. <laughs> oh fuck me he also wrote Sayana Uda yeah he sure did I forgot about that yep hey you know what I'm never playing Sayana Uda yeah, like that was the work that made him famous from what I recall yep uh huh I, you know I'm sure there's things going on in that work I'm okay yeah I just I don't need to touch it I it's don't, fine I don't need more Gen Uruguchi in my life I'm good with what I've watched already <laughs> uh uh, anyway, can't wait for Fate Zero. <laughs> there legitimately are some like things I love about Fate Zero. Fate Zero introduces one of my favorite protect, one of my favorite characters in the entire Fate franchise, Waver. So it's I not can't gonna wait be to a... be mad that Waver and Ryder don't kiss. <laughs> yeah, believe me, I was too. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, the, there will be stuff to enjoy about it um, for sure. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I think that'll be it. I think for for this episode, I don't really have much else to say about these days. Yeah, I, I am tentatively hopeful, or, or at least that that is like my current perspective on Heaven's Field. Like, I, I had been hopeful about it before, and like it, it seems like it is positioning itself to start actually doing a thing. Three fucking roots in, <laughs> just two full roots of setup. This route better be fucking payoff. Yeah. My one concern um, is that this is all. This is the route where they kill Rin. Oh, that might be the route where they kill Rin. I don't think it's the route where they kill Rin, but I could see it. Because, because my fear, like based on how this game has been resistant to have, like, um, sort so, sort of like almost in direct opposition to. Uh, Shiro's desires. The the previous roots of this game have been ones where it's like, uh, how dare you want a route with no? How dare you want an ending with no compromises? <laughs> um, and I am concerned that that is also how Heaven's Feel will end with a reiteration of that uh, of you have to make compromises. Um, See, th I agree in that I think Heaven's Feel will also reach that conclusion. 
Um, I want those compromises to be at the expense of Shiro's ideals. Yes. I, I, I want those compromises to be Shiro having to complicate his ideals with the material realities of the world in which he exists. Uh, basically what I'm saying is I need Shiro to stop reading theory and start learning praxis. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, I guess we'll see, but th- that is, that is the one thing that the, that is like the, my, uh, one fear shirt is Rin just gets <laughs> fucking dead at the end of this route. I mean, you want to know my actual fear? Yeah. My fear is that they kill Sakura. Oh, I, uh, abused woman going sicko mode uh, like yeah man that it is there is a long storied tradition of women in that position being killed for narrative tragedy yeah i feel i don't think it's going to happen but i could see the world in which it does and that's what scares me my thought on that is that what they probably do with it is it would be an unlimited blade works ending split where like the where like the not true route is the one where sakura gets to live fuck me that would make me matter actually (laughs) Uh, that's actually the thing i'm most surprised about is like i figured i would probably care about sakura I did not realize how much I would care for her, like, out the gate the moment they started giving her space. Yeah, because, like, I I used to not give a shit about Sakura, which, like, isn't surprising, because I hadn't really engaged with Fate, uh, Fate Stay Night outside the adaptations. And aside from Heaven's Feel, which was only recently released... Uh, mm-hmm. Sakura basically doesn't play a part in any of yes. the roots. So, uh, Sakura is there as set up for Heaven's Feel. She is literally a setup for a root, two roots in the making. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to even think if Sakura ever shows up in the Unlimited Blade Works root for that uh, adaptation that UFO Table did because UFO Table starts that root like I think at the church with Saber, where the root split has kind of already occurred. I think she shows up, um, but only briefly, but I'd have to watch it again to be sure. But yeah, like, in, in, in a lot of the adaptations, just because of the way that the roots get split up, like, she barely factors in. So, like, uh, of course I wouldn't have any opinions about Sakura other than, yeah, she exists. I guess she's supposed to be some sort of trad wife. <laughs> even in the game like it's like yeah i guess she exists she doesn't like have space to do anything but like literally just between the uh between the short uh instances we have of her before and her short uh brief focus so far she is the heroine for lack of a better word i a buy the most already as like a potential interest for Shiro. Um, and B is care about is like, I, I want to say like, I care about her the most, but like, that is like not quite right. I guess I'm most worried for her, but like, I, I care a lot more about Sakura than I expected to. Yeah. And like, part of that is because like, given my history, uh, abused child who is in shutdown and continually reframes himself as a quote-unquote good kid um 
eventually hitting a point where they break and going sicko mode and uh, uh, damaging severely relationships with their family is um, a thing that hits closely for me, we'll say. Only instead of, like, murdering anybody, I just became a girl. <laughs> like, I, I want this game to do right by Sakura because, like, I care about her a lot, and I'm going to be so frustrated if they don't. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess we'll find out. I, I guess we will. Uh, all right. So <sighs> next time on this podcast, we'll be covering days uh, seven through nine of Heaven's Feel. Uh, this is have yeah. There's we're we're gonna get to talk about another arrow gay scene. I'm curious. I, I, I am. This is the first time I've been like. I wonder what that's going to be like instead yeah. of like, man, that's going to be bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly fascinated to find out what the hell it's even going to be. Uh, so what I'll say for all of the parts that are whack about uh, uh, the sex scene in this, at least it's doing something. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's reaching. It's going for something instead of just being bad sex. Yeah, I don't like what it. I don't like how it did it, but you know, fucking it did. It, it, it had a point. <laughs> I, like, I, I guess, to be fair, I, I am also the person who's like, I will take a 2 out of 10 that is interesting. Or actually, I'll just generally take a 2 out of 10 over a 5 out of 10 every single time. And every previous one has been a 5 out of 10. Like, it, bad and interesting is always more valuable to me than mediocre and bland. Yeah. Um, but I get why for somebody else they might be like, No. Absolutely not. This is worse than the other ones without fail. Like, you're, you are right. This is absolutely worse than the other ones, be, especially because of its context. But it's interesting, which makes me more willing to engage with it. I don't know. I, I, I feel like, for me personally, it'd be hard to get worse than the Unlimited Blade Works route one. Um, but also, that, that may just because I I do like Rin as a love interest. Probably... Mm-hmm. You know, ideally in a triad, but like I do like her as a, <laughs> as a love interest. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, like, and that and that and that scene is just so horrible. For that scene's fucking that dire. Re- yeah, so I, I, it's so bad. So like, he'd have to do some work to be worse than that scene for me. <laughs> Dustin, you can't say that yeah, because that means he will. He uh, has what two more sex scenes? Yeah, I'm setting a flag for myself, aren't I? <laughs> He has two sex scenes to make this worse. He's never given himself that leg room before. He started out this worse and he, this bad, and he's got two more to go. Oh boy! <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, you can't say things like that and not expect it to happen. Yeah, that's true. Well, hopefully, I'll be proven wrong. Uh, all right, let's leave before we get distracted again. <laughs> yeah, uh, so that'll be it for this episode. Uh, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at GM. You can follow me on Twitter at RhetoricAcrobat. I don't know why you would. <laughs> uh, and as always, uh, remember, people die when they are killed. Also, podcasts end when they're finished. Oh my god, I forgot my own sign-off. <laughs> <laughs>
You did? I remember this time. That's never happened before. <laughs> uh, the most surprising thing is that you uh, you actually said it. I, oh, I mean, at that point I had to say, like, okay, I'm ending the podcast now.